Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Great. Thanks, Prem. Morning, everyone. Uh, lovely to be with you this morning. If I haven't met you before, lovely to meet you. My name is Alyssa. Uh, the reason we probably haven't met is because I'm usually at the 6.30 and I'm usually in bed at this time on a Sunday morning, but I've made it here today. Um, if you don't have the passage open in front of you, can I encourage you to do that? That's just helpful to see as we go through. So we are in Matthew chapter 9. But before I jump in, why don't I pray for us? Jesus, we, we trust that you are here with us. Thank you that you are here in your power, in your presence. And so, God, would you come and speak to us now? God, would you warm our hearts to what you've done for us? Speak to us, I pray. In your name, amen. Uh, so this weekend uh, has been a very emotional weekend for me personally. And the reason why is because the series finale of the TV show, This Is Us, finally aired. If you haven't seen it, it's incredible. Um, I was like full-on sobbing. I mean like full-on ugly crying. It was the most I've ever cried at a TV show in my life. Um, but if you're not familiar with it, it tells the story of the Pearson family. Uh, so there's a, a couple and then three kids who are known as the big three. Uh, it's just kind of, a, it's a beautiful story about kind of day-to-day -day life in this very average American family, but there's all sorts of like drama and secrets and heartbreak, and it's just, it's so beautiful and it's so good. Um, the series kind of jumps around in time a fair bit, so there might be one episode where you're in the 70s and another one in the present day, and then in the future again in the next five minutes. Um, it's just so clever and it's so good. Um, but one of my favorite fe features of This Is Us is that occasionally in an episode you will meet a character who you've never seen before. They just come completely out of the blue, but they are somehow connected into the main character's lives. And you're left there at the beginning of the episode meeting this character for the first time and thinking, who on earth are you? You know, are they the future spouse of one of the Pearson children? You know, do they have the answer to a long-lost family secret? Or maybe, as it legitimately was in one case, it's just a minor character's gynecologist. Um, that's not a spoiler, by the way. If I told you whose gynecologist it was, that would blow your mind. It was so good. But these characters that we meet throughout This Is Us, they teach us something more about the main characters and the themes that they are exploring throughout the series. You know, they flesh out the story more. We find out more about what is going on. And my love for This Is Us is similar for my love for the Gospels and particularly our passage today. You know, we meet characters in the Gospels in Jesus' life who we might not see again, but they teach us more about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. In our passage today, we meet two strangers whose lives are far more intertwined than they realized. We don't think they actually had a conversation, but they are connected. You know, we meet a synagogue leader and a sick woman, and they have something very key in common. They are absolutely desperate, and they believe that Jesus is the solution to their problem, and they expect him to do something about the situations that they are facing. And they teach us what it looks like to live lives that are expectant of Jesus, of him to show up and act in our lives. Because the fact is, is Jesus acts in our lives because he's interested in us. He loves us and he wants to be with us. But when Jesus acts, it might not be quite what we expect or what we long for. As followers of Jesus, we should be expectant of him to be at work in our lives, 
but in his own time and in his own way. It is good and right to live lives of expectant faith, even in the midst of hopelessness and despair. So from our passage today, in, in the classic preacher style, I think there are three things we can be expectant of. And that's Jesus' action, his power, and his sovereignty. So let's start by having a look at our first verses in the passage. If you've got it open, have a look at verses 18 and 19 for me. So it says, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. By the way, I've just realized in verse 18, it says a ruler. We're talking about a synagogue leader here. That's another translation of it. And there's one line I just want to emphasize here. That the, the synagogue leader, the ruler, he comes before Jesus and says, my daughter has just died. I think that's a really easy detail for us to skim over because we know the end of the story. But this man has gone through one of the worst pains a human with children can go through, which is losing a child. You know, imagine the level of grief that this man is going through, the deep, painful despair that he feels. His daughter has just died. Sorry, do you want me to change microphones? Is that helpful? Yeah, sorry, I'll use the red one. Give me a second. Hello? There you go. Sorry about that. That always tends to happen with me with the Britney mics. But anyway, back to the synagogue ruler. His daughter has just died. Okay, I think it's so easy for us to skim over that detail because, as I said, we know how the story ends. You know, we don't know how she died, whether it was just a sudden she dropped to the floor or whether or not it was drawn out. But just imagine for a minute that pain that that synagogue leader is feeling, that, that deep gut-wrenching pain of losing a child. And where does he go to in that moment? He goes to Jesus. In the face of death itself, this man turns to Jesus. Now, it's worth mentioning here that we are only in chapter 9 of Matthew's gospel at this point. Up until this point, Jesus, yeah, has been performing healings, but he hasn't risen anyone from the dead yet. And he himself hasn't been raised from the dead because he hasn't died yet. You know, there is evidence at this point in the story to suggest that Jesus is capable of great things. But let's face it, raising the dead is a whole other level. But this synagogue leader is in the depths of desperate grief. His daughter is dead. And there's a chance that Jesus might be able to do something about it. Now, this synagogue leader has this expectancy that Jesus can and will heal his daughter. He hasn't got any evidence to suggest that Jesus might be capable of it. You know, we don't know what this man knows about Jesus and all of the stuff that he's done so far. But, but there's a chance. There's even a certainty. Listen to the synagogue leader's words again. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. This man expects that if Jesus comes, puts his hand on his daughter, his daughter will live again. He's certain of it. There's no, oh, Jesus, she might come back. Or, oh, Jesus, if I just do this, 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 then you maybe might do it. You know, this man asks with, with this expectant certainty. And ultimately, Jesus honors his boldness and request and gets up and goes with him. And so I wonder, when, when you pray and when you ask God to do things, what is it exactly that you're asking God to do? I don't know about you, but I very rarely pray with the expectation that Jesus will actually do something. I tend to pray very broad, non-specific prayers. 
You know, do I ever ask Jesus with, with this bold expectancy like this synagogue leader does? I don't think I do. I think we have a tendency to water down our prayers because we're scared of asking Jesus for the specifics. You know, we take our request to God and that's great and we should definitely do that. But actually, what is it that we want him to do? And do we ask him with an expectancy that actually he might and he will do it? Because as I said, now ultimately Jesus honors the synagogue leader's request and gets up and goes with him to his daughter. Now I do want to add here, don't think I'm going to start going all prosperity gospel on you and saying that if you pray for a thousand pounds that God's just going to dump it in your bank account the next day. That's not what I'm saying here. Ultimately, we need to think about what we're asking of him. Are our desires and our wants in line with who Jesus is and his will and his plan for our lives? Because if not, maybe we might need to do a heart check and check our priorities and check our view of Jesus as we come to him. And also the fact is our life experiences might have clouded and affected our expectations of what Jesus can do. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. But it's clear even from the start of this passage that Jesus can and does move in, in, in response to the requests of his people. Jesus knows what he's capable of. And he will want to act in your life. And so we should be expectant of him to be at work. But ultimately, we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus acts in his own timing and in his own way. Because as we read in this passage, while Jesus and the ruler are on the way to the dead girl, we meet, we have an interruption. We meet our second desperate stranger, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And that leads me on to the next point, that we should be expectant of Jesus' power. I'm sure all of us at some point in our lives have had that, that feeling of maybe not quite fitting in. You know, something that makes us uncomfortable when we're around other people. Uh, for some of us, it will be super trivial things. Uh, for example, I am a 25-year-old woman, but I hate rom-coms. Um, I literally can't stand them. Uh, but all of my best friends absolutely love them. And I'm like, why would you want to watch a film in which the ending is just super predictable? I just do not understand it. Uh, so it means whenever I'm with my friends, I, I just feel out of place and I feel a little bit strange. In all honesty, I'd much rather watch Star Wars. Um, now that is a very, thank you. Uh, now that is a very ridiculous and a very trivial example. But for some of us, that feeling of, of being out of place, of not fitting in, has been caused by something that we can't change about ourselves. Areas of society have decided that for whatever reason, we don't fit in. And I, I don't doubt for a second that for many people in this room, those experiences might have been deeply painful because it's caused by something that we can't change. And this woman would have known exactly what that would have felt like. The helplessness and desperation of wanting to fix something that you simply can't. Matthew tells us that this woman had been bleeding for 12 years. Now, we don't know the exact nature of this bleeding because Matthew doesn't tell us. And I'm, I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you what would be medically possible or the nature of 12 years of bleeding. But it is safe to assume that this potentially could have been some form of menstrual bleeding, meaning that this woman had some form of ongoing period for 12 years. Meaning that for 12 years, she had been considered impure and unclean by her community. For 12 years, anyone who would have touched her would have been made impure. For 12 years, she would have been considered an outsider in the community. Because at that time, when you were on your period, you were considered all of those things. 
People wouldn't have wanted to go near her, touched anything that she touched, all out of fear of being made impure themselves. So again, she's desperate. This has been going on for 12 years. Look at what the woman says to herself in verse 21. If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Again, notice that certainty in the woman's voice, I will be healed. She knows that when she comes to Jesus, she has that faith that she will be healed, even if she just touches his cloak. Not even touching him physically, like touching what he is wearing. Like, look, look at this dress that I'm wearing today, okay? Like, this isn't me. This is just some fabric that I've put on myself. There's no DNA, like, entwined in, in, in into this dress. This dress tells you something of who, of who I am because it's, you know, kind of everything that we wear is a reflection of our personalities a bit, isn't it? But there's, there's nothing of, of who I am in this dress. But this woman knows that Jesus is so powerful that even the clothes on his back are full of his power. Again, as I said before, I think it's fairly easy for us to ask Jesus to do things in quite a broad way. You know, ask him to maybe provide that thing or, you know, heal that person or change whatever it is it might be. But how expectant of him, of him are we to show up in his power? Power that is contained even on the clothes that are on his back. That even if we reach out and just touch his cloak, there is great power in that. Imagine the power if we actually reached out and physically touched him, even though we can't because he's not physically here. You know, Jesus is powerful. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the one by whom and in whom all things in heaven and on earth were created. The one who we believe now is seated at the right hand of the Father, the almighty God. And this is the Jesus that we pray to. And how often do we expect him to show up in our lives in that power? With the expectancy that he can do great and mighty things, far more than we can ask or imagine. He can bring healing. He can bring breakthrough. He can do it. We can follow the example of this woman and in faith step out and touch Jesus. And we receive his power. Because again, Jesus ultimately honors this woman's request. You know, she honors the step that he takes. He doesn't just feel this kind of brush on his cloak and keep walking. He turns round, he sees her. He calls her daughter, a term which signifies kind of her return into the community, and tells her that she is healed. I love this story so much. It's, it's so beautiful. But let's not forget a key point here when we read this part. Let's not forget our first dangerous, our first dangerous, <laughs> our first desperate stranger, the synagogue leader. He's still here. He's the one leading Jesus to his daughter at this time. What's Jesus doing? Has Jesus just forgotten about his dead child? You know, surely a, a dead girl should be higher up on Jesus' priorities than this sick woman. You know, I think if I was a synagogue ruler at this time, I would have been mad. <laughs> I would have been standing there trying to hurry Jesus along. Come on, Jesus, what on earth are you doing talking to this woman? We haven't got time. My daughter is dead. Don't you care? And I think that brings us on to our final point, that we should be expectant of Jesus' sovereignty. Because by the time that Jesus arrives, so have the mourners. They've given up hope. The girl is dead. 
So on the 20th of January, 2014, it was a pretty normal Monday morning in my life. Uh, in 2014, I was in year 12, uh, or lower sixth form, so meaning I was 17. Uh, for the youth, yes, I really am that old. For everyone else, yes, I really am that young. Um, I'd had a fairly standard weekend, nothing too out of the ordinary, uh, and I headed into my school on, in Croydon in South London, as I did most Monday mornings when I was 17. But when I arrived, there was something strange in the atmosphere. You know when you walk into a room and, and you can tell that something is off, but you're not quite sure what it is. Something was wrong. People were acting strangely. I didn't know why. It was only when I found two of my friends later that they explained the situation to me. They told me that one of our classmates, one of our friends, Dan, he had been to an illegal rave in West London on that Friday night. While he was there, he had taken a dodgy batch of MDMA. His body had shut down. He had been rushed to hospital. And as it stood, when I spoke to my friends on that Monday morning, he was in hospital in critical condition on life support. And the reason my friends knew this is because the church that Dan and his family had been to, that they were also part of, they had been keeping a vigil all weekend. They'd be praying and asking God to, to do what they knew he could and to heal Dan. Praying with, with that expectancy that God had the power and the ability to do it. But by lunchtime on that Monday morning, we had the news that there was nothing more that could be done. Dan's life support was turned off and our head of sick form gathered us together at about one o'clock to tell us that Dan had died. And for as long as I live, I will never forget sitting in that room. And for many of us in that room, we would have called ourselves Christians. It was a faith school. And for many of us, it was the first time we had to genuinely wrestle with the question, where is God? Why didn't he do the obvious thing? He had the power and the ability to heal and save Dan, so why didn't he? And I'm sure we all have stories in this room of those moments in our lives where it feels like God isn't there. That he hasn't shown up. He hasn't done what we asked and what we longed for him to do. Our prayers seem to be just met with silence. And that's really painful. But the beautiful truth is that Jesus is sovereign. He always has been and he always will be. I've already said it. He is the almighty God, the Lord of all things and the one who reigns above all things. All things are under him and are his. He is Lord. And we can and we do often forget that. Now, the fact is, is that our situations, our pain is often right physically in front of us. And Jesus isn't. It's hard when we're faced with that impossible. You know, we can be like the mourners in this story. We're so caught up in what we see in front of us that we forget that Jesus is on his way. That he is still at work. And that he sees our lives and our situations from a completely different perspective. He is sovereign overall, so he can take his time. He can stop and show compassion to a desperate, suffering woman on his way to heal a dead girl. You know, the sovereign God that we believe in is the almighty God of the universe, the one who is outside space and time, who sees all things, including our lives. He sees beyond what we can. 
He sees the outcome of our situations and our circumstances. So he knows that as he says in verse 24, he knows when something isn't dead, but it's asleep. And for those things that actually are dead, that seem hopeless, the beauty of Jesus is that with him, following him, death is never the end. Death will always be followed by resurrection. Death does not and will not have the final say. And we know that. We can say it with certainty because we follow a crucified yet risen king. In dying and rising to life again, Jesus proved once and for all that he is sovereign over death itself. And there may be situations in our life when, yes, Jesus comes in, takes what looks like our dead things by the hand and raises them to life again. And that is beautiful and we should celebrate that. And there'll be others where we'll be waiting. We might not see life until the next one. But regardless of whether or not it's now or in eternity, we can be expectant that Jesus' resurrection life will come in his own way and in his own time. Because he is sovereign and because he is Lord. To go back to my friend Dan, he's buried in Croydon and his grave is underneath a sycamore tree. At his memorial service, we were all handed one of these. And this contains a sycamore seed from his grave. And on it is a, is a verse from John 15, which says, bearing much fruit. Shortly after his death, Dan's parents set up a drugs education charity in his name to play their part in making sure that what happened to Dan never happens to anyone again. And one of the first things they did is they found a restorative justice organization that goes into prisons and works with offenders. And by some beautiful God coincidence, the name of the charity is the Sycamore Tree. Because the beauty of these seeds is that when they die and fall to the ground, life can come from them. I'm just going to read you the back of what it says on this. The Sycamore Seed is from the tree that overshadows Dan's grave. Our prayer is that through our words and through the foundation that works in his name, the story of Dan will journey far and wide, just as the spinning sycamore seed does, and that where it lands, it will bear much fruit, growing many good things from this very bad thing. We can be expectant that life will come from death because Jesus is alive, and he is wanting to work and move in our lives in his power. And so to land, I wonder where we might be lacking in that expectancy. And trust me, I'm preaching much to myself as I am to all of you right now. Maybe at a base level, we've just lost faith that Jesus is interested. We've lost faith that he will act in our lives. We actually, we need him to come and put his hand on us or on a loved one. And we need to actually ask him to do that. You know, so what is it that we want Jesus to do? Do we ask him to do it? Are we expectant that we will, he will? Or do we just pray on autopilot? Or maybe we just need to be expectant of his power, that even the clothes on his back are full of it. Where do we need a reminder that Jesus is the all-powerful God, the one who beat death itself and reigns in power? Enough power to break through and change what might seem impossible. Or maybe you're actually going through the darkness right now. Things are tough, and it doesn't seem like Jesus has shown up yet. So where do you need a reminder to be expectant of his life? 
that he is the one above all that conquered death once and for all, who see things much clearer than we ever could. The risen Jesus who promises life from death. We're going to pray now. I'm going to invite Tom and the band um, to come up. As I was kind of preparing to, to speak to you this morning, I had a sense that actually this life point was really important and that actually Jesus is wanting to speak life into some of you this morning. I don't know what your situations are. I don't know what that looks like for you. But I just had a real sense that that was what Jesus was wanting to do. So can I invite you, if you're able, to please stand? We're just going to spend some time praying and then we're going to worship. But let me pray for us. Jesus, you are the risen king. The one who is above all and in all. Thank you that you are interested in our lives. That you are the powerful God who beat death. And so Jesus, we invite you here now by your spirit. Would you come and move among us? And Jesus, for my, my brothers and sisters who need that touch of your life again, whatever that might look like, Jesus, would you come and meet them now? Would you come and bring your resurrection power in their lives afresh and anew? If you're meeting with Jesus, I'd encourage you just to stay in this place. Yeah, I just sense that there's actually that reminder of, of life from dead things is really important right now. And so if that's you, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd come and fill your people now. So if you're, you're meeting with Jesus, do stay in that place. But for the rest of us, we're going to go into a time of worship. So do what you need to do to meet with Jesus, whether that be singing or, or just waiting on him. But let's worship.